Nathan Schneider writes about technology for the Chronicle of Higher Education, Harper's Magazine, and the New York Times, and he recently published an article via the Al Jazeera News Network about the potential consequences of putting iPads in LA classrooms. Yes, Apple iPads, as opposed to, say, Acer Chromebooks, Samsung phones, or Nexus tablets, not to mention Raspberry Pis. Schneider argues that the large-scale adoption of any technology carries with it an implicit endorsement of whichever brand slaps its badge on the case, which should probably be examined a little more closely, especially in regards to how educators talk to and teach students about technology. What does it mean for the open source movement to try to gain a foothold in a school that's one-to-one -one with iPads? I'm Audrey Homan, and in this episode of the 21st Century Classroom, we're going to look at what we're saying without saying when we put technology in the classroom. I sat down with Tarrant Institute graduate research fellow and all-around smart guy Mark Olofsson to talk about the unintentional effects of brand name technology in the classroom and what it could mean for the open source movement. Um, so the first thing is this idea that um, a, a technology company, Apple, right, right um, gave a whole bunch of iPads to a school district. Mm -hmm. um, and we can consider this as them being, you know, benevolent and these are great learning tools. And they absolutely are great learning tools. Um, but it's a little tricky because uh, Apple, end of the day, is a corporation. Yes, it and, is. And uh, corporations are there to make money. And, and schools uh, are not. And schools are not. And so we're trying to figure out, you know, kind of what's, what would be the motivation for Apple to do this. And yes, you know, you're creating, it's strong for society and all these things, but you also got to consider that they're putting their products in the hands of young folks. Right. And specifically their products, their iPads. And, um, you know, Apple has proprietary technology where it's, you have to go through their, uh, their app store to get apps and all these, um, all these sorts of things. And so really by doing this, they're, it, it, it's deeper than just what advertising would be because they're putting their specific devices in these kids' hands and then these kids are using them all day. This is the expectation, right? Mm -hmm. So they're creating people, they're creating consumers of Apple products because these kids now know how to use iPads and know how to use iOS. And that's the operating system that is becoming native to them. You know, we talk about digital natives. They're shaping what it means to be a digital native in LA school districts. It means to be an Apple user. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it gets to be a little bit concerning because that we, we can see that that's more of their motivation than is a motivation for education, than is a motivation to greater benefit society for equity across the LA school district, is that it really feels more that this is a huge advertising ploy. Not to mention the advertising that they get and the goodwill across society that they get. Like, oh, Apple gave all those computers and all those iPads. And, and as, as this uh, article points out, and as I remember, Apple's been doing this for decades Right. Mm -hmm. I remember the first computer in a classroom that I ever saw was a was a two E or a two GS, and they'd give them away free to school districts, or you could save up box tops. Or yeah, whatever. that's what the guy and, talks about in the article: saving up, like having all the students in his class save up all these. So they had to consume some sort of product to save mm -hmm. up these box tops, and then cash in for you know the giant computer that rolled in on the cart and allowed you to like die of dysentery with all your oxen along yeah. the way. Say Oregon Trail. I am still bitter about the oxen well, twenty yeah. years later. I still remember being forced to practice typing on it. 
but it's good. And, and that's beneficial. That's a good skill. I learned how to type, mm -hmm. right? right? But I also learned that you use Apple computers. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel as though that this is, you know, it's been built into Apple's business model. And I'm, man, I really don't want to be ragging on Apple too much because the thing is, is that everybody does this. Um, if we look at Microsoft's big backing of Common Core, and that goes along with a lot of Microsoft software as well, right? And um, testing companies push their tests that get pushed with their testing software. Um, so this is something that gets done by a lot of different folks. But I think it's concerning and that we shouldn't just blankly accept big gifts like this when it's when it's marketed technology that's being brought into classrooms as being, I don't think that we should just accept it as being just fully like benevolent. Mm -hmm. So that's, I guess, my first concern. My deeper concern and probably more related to um, kind of the, some of the work that we've done here and like we did last summer um, with CodeCamp and uh, is this idea that um, iPads are very much about the front end user experience. Okay. Um, in that you use an iPad, okay? And you can create things, um, you can create things with apps in an iPad, certainly, but it's uh, just using an iPad, it gets really difficult to actually create an app. And it's very difficult to know what's going on behind the scenes on an iPad. Would you, can you unpack that statement a little um, bit? Absolutely, so if you think about, um, it, it, it's hard to see any sort of the, the coding that goes into these things. Oh, that's it, a great point. You know, it, it's hard to see, um, whereas, you know, um, yes, on, an, on, on a web page, you can always, you know, go view source and all that, and then you right. can see source. Or but, use Firebug, like with Firefox, the open source browser, you can use Firebug to actually see more about the code and, and link chunks of code to what you're seeing on in your web browser. Piece to piece, yeah. yeah. Which Huge is really learning cool. tool. And I think about when... Oh, it's gonna date me when I was a kid. Um, but we've already gone through the Oregon yeah. Trail thing. Like it's yeah. hopeless. We're, they but, know we're old. Um, but popping open MS DOS and popping open the shell and playing around in there on our old PC, right? Holy and, cats! That yeah, is old. And running stuff command line for out of MS DOS, and it really made me think about okay, what's going on inside this computer? You know, mm -hmm. I'm having to direct it to go a certain route to get to a certain directory to call up a certain sequence. And so I could start to understand what exactly it is that computers do instead of just using the front end interface. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we when we're thinking about when we're thinking about 21st century literacies, Right. And um, I've talked a little bit about this before, about, and I, I know that you, you have some feelings about this as well, about the importance of teaching kids to code. Oh, yeah. It's a 21st century literacy. And just giving, and only ex keeping the student's experience to the front end user only hides that reality from them, hides that coded reality from them. And it doesn't encourage them to think about it. Um, so in that... For, so looking at it through that lens, then it's not enough that you know you could, that Apple provides you, you with free access to Xcode, and that they they have released this the brand new language that you know in effect makes it easier for kids to code because they're still shaping the narrative of how 
were interacting with the code to their products. But is that is that not their right when it's their product? Shouldn't well, they be able to control that narrative or at least have a dominant voice in it? They, I think that they should be able to have, a, you know, they, they're going to control their user experience. Absolutely. They're their users. And I think that they have made good motions towards making that stuff more out in the open. But those aren't the types, well... I shouldn't speak before the horse there. Those aren't always the types of things that get put in front of school-age users of these products. And that I feel far too often things like iPads are used as, you know, book replacements, activity replacements, and we aren't pushing students really far to really be thinking about how those things are pieced together. And for me, it's, it's a little bit like teaching reading without teaching writing. Okay. That's a, that's a good, good comparison. It, it, obviously, it's not one-to-one. -one, mm -hmm. But it's teaching this, you know, how to take stuff in, how to interact with stuff. But it's not really forcing you to think about how to build stuff and how to create that. And when we think about where we really want to be going one of the directions that I think we really want to be going with students is allowing them to, you know, manipulate and create their own world, right? Mm -hmm. And students love this. This is why students love Minecraft. Mm -hmm. Because they get to create their own world. They get to, you know, imagine and shape and make those things a reality. You mean Minecraft that was just bought by Microsoft? I do mean Minecraft. Just checking. Just checking. Was what a, man, what a move. And it, it was funny because some uh, voices in the media that obviously have no idea what Minecraft does, and they were like, why would they buy a computer game? And I'm like, I don't think you understand. Um, <laughs> Grown-up time. Grown-up yeah. grown time. Um, but so students really like that. But they're making stuff that then exists in the Minecraft world, right? We, if we're thinking about like skills and knowledge that to build up for 21st century jobs, we need them to be able to build things that then become manifest in, in our world that they're, you know, and the types of things that they want to interact with. Um, so maybe the types of things that they could build through, say, Google SketchUp and a 3D printer? And we did see that. Hey! Absolutely. That's a great plug. So, um, uh, Anyway, to look back into this article a little bit, because I, I think that they proposed an interesting solution. They proposed giving every every student uh, a Raspberry Pi, mm -hmm. um, which is a very small. I mean, it's it's essentially a board that you can program, build up, and then it runs uh, it runs like a Linux. And um, but you're responsible for digging in and creating the entire experience, sort of from the very ground up, and. The idea is this, of course, that would be insanely cheaper. Raspberry Pi's... It's 35 bucks. 35 bucks. Um, and it's a computer. Um, and the type of experiential learning that a student would get out of starting at that space and getting to a usable computing device is massive. Think about how much learning that they would learn about computer science. And I'm not saying every kid needs to be a computer science, a computer scientist, but every kid is going to use a computer. And to go through that experience of actually building up, of actually writing a book that you would read, right? Mm -hmm. of, of building up a computing device that they can then use and customize to their own, like, for, to benefit them and all this. I, I think it's a strong argument. The downsides, the, the teacher would have to know how to do it. And... Well, is well, that necessarily true? Well, I mean, you're a huge proponent... 
of community partnerships. I am a big, and that's true. That is true. And it's a great place for uh, community folks to come in and help out with that stuff because you can have a real high-level mastery knowledge. But I, I guess what I should take back and say is that it does require a master to be able, like a master of content in order to be able to communicate that stuff and to help kids troubleshoot stuff. Because if you don't have a master of content around that, you're going to have a very difficult time in the classroom getting kids starting to go. Once you get kids rolling and they understand some basics, they're fantastic at figuring stuff out themselves and experimenting. Um, well, they are because they'll experiment and they'll figure things out as long as they have the time and um, the as long as it's being valued in the classroom for them to be doing this. I was actually thinking like once you have sort of it seems like there's a problem with the initial wave, right? Getting, mm -hmm. the, getting the first set of students to learn or to build the Raspberry Pi and then having the type of learning environment where they can turn around and teach the other students who are maybe, you know, coming in or who are new to the Raspberry Pi how to, um, how to build that. I'm thinking um, analogously of um, at the STEM Academy at Essex High School, apparently the Arduino... Uh, lesson module is mm -hmm. going to be largely led by a student, nice. which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to have him on the podcast and, and hear from him. Um, but I, I'm wondering, like, is is that the the new model we're going to start seeing? I mean, I think that's a great model, and that's that's a model that's been used in um, classrooms for for you know a long time, as long as since there was one room classrooms where you had you know all the kids piled into one, right? Um, that you have kids that do become masters of content that then can. Um, teach to the other students and we know of course as you teach you also learn and you know you become an even greater master of content which is fantastic and you can start to see applications as well um so i guess that's kind of it, most of the stuff that, that that came up for me in this article again i don't want to say that you know one way is right or one operating system is right or one device is right because that that's that's not the fact but I think that it is important that when we bring technology into the classroom, that we're really kind of aware of all the, all the strings that are attached and all the messages that we send when we, that we transfer when we set a device in front of a student. Because we're saying very loudly, I mean, at the first point, we're saying that we value technology. Mm -hmm. that, that's a very base level message, right? And then we're also, but we're also, you know, conveying messages around what type of technology, what type of apps we're asking them to use, what type of output we're asking them to do, um, how much, like what levels of activities we're asking them to do. Is We're communicating what place technology can serve in their life and how they should be interacting with technology. And I think that if we're creating folks who are going to work and learn and play in the 21st century, it's important to be able to fully understand the technology you're using and not just be a front end user, but to have a more, um, a deeper and more critical understanding. In the end analysis, working with technology in the classroom entails empowering learners to see beyond the brand. Learners are encouraged to interact with technology as creators, not just consumers. And that learning any one particular technology platform, truly learning it, involves taking the lid off and making it not just their own, but using it to make the next generation of technology for the next generation of learners. I highly encourage you to read Schneider's article it's fascinating for a whole bunch of reasons, 
We only tackled one aspect of the article here, but there's really a ton of great talking points in it. You can check it out online by pointing your internet device at tinyurl.com slash 21stipad, all written out. You can also find the URL in the notes for this episode. A huge thank you to Mark Olofsson for sharing all his wisdom nuggets once again, and you can hear more from Mark at our blog, where he writes about issues related to science and technology education. This week's music was composed by Chrissy Johnson, who released it under a Creative Commons attribution license, so go check her work out on SoundCloud. You've been listening to the 21st Century Classroom, a podcast by the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont. Check out our blog and Mark's Science Saturdays column online at blog.tarrantinstitute.org.